a series called Go Tell It on the Mountain. And uh, yes, I am stealing the title from uh, the, um, the uh, Christmas Carol that we all sing every single year. But, all, but this series, these three messages, this week, next week, then we have Multiplication Sunday, and then this, the, uh, the following Sunday on the 17th, these three messages are talking about times when God spoke to us to then go tell. And it's all building up, of course, to the Christmas story. And so I want you to, t- to really come along with me on this journey. This is going to be a very unique way of preaching. And what, and what I'm saying that is usually we read the whole passage, and then I tell you what the title is, and then we go through the points and go through the scripture. But the Lord has directed me to do something different today. He wants me to tell the story. So what I want you to do is some of you this morning may have never heard the Christmas story told this way, or maybe have never heard the the events leading up to the Christmas story told this way. And what I want to do is make sure that before you leave this morning, you firmly grasp what God wants us to go and tell not only our family and our friends, but how many know sometimes you got to tell yourself? Sometimes you got to remind yourself what God is doing and remind yourself who God is. But let's go to Luke chapter 1 and start at verse 5. In the days of Herod, king of Judea, there was a priest named Zechariah, one of the division of Abijah. And he had a wife from the daughters of Aaron, and her name was Elizabeth. And they were both righteous before God, walking blamelessly in all the commandments and statutes of the Lord. Now, let me really quick tell you a little bit about this. So Zechariah and Elizabeth are both a priestly family. And they're both a holy, a holy couple, that devout, a devout couple that served God with all their hearts. In the time period in which they lived, Israel had been in a state of silence and a state of, of uh, captivity. Israel, 400 years earlier, had been taken captive by Babylon. And Babylon held them captive for 70 years. And then Cyrus the Great of the, of the great Greek empire released them to come back home to their homeland of Israel and rebuild the temple, rebuild the walls under the leadership of Nehemiah. And at that point, the prophets began to proclaim that, that the Messiah would come. And then all of a sudden, 400 years before the birth of Jesus, 400 years, God just quit speaking. For 400 years, there was no prophetic word anymore. There was, no, there was no miracles happening. There was no revelation, fresh revelation of what God is saying. And so basically Israel at that point was at the mercy of their captors. And at one point their captor was Greek. And then by this time, the captors were the empire of Rome. So Israel is desperate, desperately waiting for freedom again. They've been in captivity by Babylon, then by the Persians, then by the Greeks, and now by Rome. And so they've been slaves and, and held you know, under, the, under the leadership of another country and another empire for over 400 years. And they want their country back, and they want their home back, and they want to worship in freedom again, and they want to give and pay taxes to their own people and not taxes to some foreign ruler. They want to, they want to find a place of stability. How many understand that you don't have to, you can live in the free country of America and still feel like you're being led and governed by something else? That there's some strong things that can grab a hold of you, like fear, like depression, like anxiety, like sickness, like worry. Like financial struggle, there's things that can feel like they're just holding you captive and you are not in control of your own life. And and, and Israel knows what that feels like in this moment. And so they're desperately wanting God to intervene and fulfill his word and come and, and, and fulfill the promise that a Messiah would come, that a Savior would come and bring Israel out of this and give her back her country. And so in the process of that, 
What they can do in the meantime is worship to the freedom that they do have. And so at this point, they set back up what semblance of a temple they could build. And they put the furniture back in. For those of you that have never done a study on the tabernacle or on the temple, um, basically they had pieces of furniture inside of it. Everything meant something. And so because they couldn't have, you know, the typical freedoms they normally have, they would go on rotation. And they would send one priest in at a, at a specific time to do specific duties inside of the tabernacle. And Zechariah was one of the priests that was occasionally chosen to do this. And Zechariah and Elizabeth were, were a couple that were devout to God and wanted to serve God in that way. Now let's go to verse 7, now that I've given you a backstory on who these guys are. But they had no child because Elizabeth had been barren and both of them were advanced in years. Who can tell me another couple in the Old Testament that had, no, that had no children because of their age, and then God miraculously gave them a child. Abraham and Sarah, right? The birth of Israel. So we, we've, we've come full circle here in this, in this story, but because they're both advanced in years. But I want you to see this. She's barren. They're both advanced in years. But what are they doing? Faithfully walking blameless and righteous with God. So they, they're not allowing their circumstances or their status among people. Because back in that day, if you didn't have any children, you were, you were considered less than. Because that's legacy. That's wealth. That's, that's, that's your line. That's your, that's your heritage. That's those coming after you. And they had no child to pass on their legacy to, to pass on their inheritance to, to pass on the birthright to. And as a Jewish couple, to have no children, that's a really, really difficult thing in society of that time. Especially as a woman, because the women, their primary objective in that period of time was to support their husband and to have children. And so for her to not be able to do that was really difficult for her and was a reproach, the Bible even says, that women would look down upon her because you're a holy woman walking with God, but yet God has not opened up your womb. How many women in here can bear witness that sometimes you might be looked upon as somebody different than who God's called you to be? And how many know you cannot allow the opinions or the, or, the, or the thoughts and the words of people to tell you who you are? Only one voice tells you, sister and daughter of God, who you are, and that's the voice of your father. And sons, that goes for us too. We cannot get caught up in what society says a man should be or what your boss says you should be or even what your spouse or your children say you should be. One voice determines the man, the husband, the father, the, the minister that I am, and that is the voice of my father. That's why the Bible made it clear they walked righteously with God. God was pleased with them. Are you hearing me this morning? Now, while, they were, while he was serving as priest before God, when his division was on duty, according to the custom of the priesthood, Zechariah was chosen by lot. So they drew straws. Who's going in today? All right. Everybody draw. Everybody put your straw in. Okay. And then they drew straws. Zechariah's straw got picked. So he gets to go in. So he gets to go in and enter the temple of the Lord and burn the incense up to the Lord. Now, I want you to see this. He's doing typical duty. He's walking his typical life. He's, he's doing his typical routine. He put his straw in. His straw gets picked. This is not abnormal yet. Everything's status quo. Everything's way it always is as of now. But he goes in. And the Bible says that while the whole multitude of the people were outside praying at the hour of incense. Okay, please note of that. The people outside are praying. What does prayer do? Prayer moves God's hand. 
Are you hearing me this morning? So it's the time of incense. Zechariah is chosen to go in. And as he's going in, the people have gathered around the temple and they're praying. All these things are lining up for God to do something. Are you with me so far? And there appeared to him an angel of the Lord standing on the right side of the altar of incense. So Zechariah is coming in. He's got the incense in his hand. He's coming up to burn it. And right as he gets to the altar, all of a sudden, this beautiful angel appears at the right side of the altar of incense. Not typical. 400 years had gone by before this has happened. They hadn't seen anything for 400 years. For those of you that might be wondering, how long is that? Eight generations of people. Eight generations. So the last person who saw God do something supernatural was someone's great, 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 great grandfather. 400 years. To put that in perspective, our country is not even 400 years old. It had been that long since God had spoken or done anything of note. And now all of a sudden, Zechariah got his straw pulled as the people were praying. He gets to be the one to see something. I know we pass over this story a lot when we're reading about the Christmas story because everybody wants to get to the really, really good part. But that, that part doesn't happen if this doesn't happen. Are you with me today? And Zechariah was immediately troubled when he saw him and fear fell upon him. Yeah, no duh. If I come in to do my routine work and all of a sudden an angel shows up doing what I'm supposed to be doing, um, this isn't normal. My daddy's never seen this. My granddaddy's never seen this. My great-granddaddy's never seen this. I'll, I, don't even really, I don't even know if I have full description or idea what this is. I just know this is not normal. I'm supposed to walk up to this altar, take a handful of incense and burn it and offer a prayer to God and leave. I come up, I can't even get to the altar because there's an angel standing in front of it. I can't even get to my duty because something supernatural has interrupted my life. And you, can, and you should not be surprised when in the middle of routine daily living, God might want to interrupt it. Because why? They were walking with him. They were blameless in his sight. They were doing what he asked them to do, and people were praying. That's all the ingredients you need for God to do something supernatural in your life. So real quick, before we go forward in this story, let me pause for just a second and ask you a question. Do you have all those things in your life? Are you walking blamelessly with God? Are you doing what God is asking you to do? And do you have people in your life that are joining with you in agreement in prayer? If you have those things, congratulations. You are opening your life up for God to do things supernaturally in your life. If you don't have those things, then I would ask, I would challenge you to take a list out and put those things back in order. And the first thing I want to show you about today is that the Bible said in this moment, God tells them that God sees you. That's your first blank. Go tell them. Go tell yourself. Go tell your loved ones. Go tell the lost. Go tell them. God sees you every day in your normal routine day. God sees you. The Bible calls us the apple of his eye. Jesus said, if a sparrow falls to the ground, the father sees it. How much more will he take care of you? God sees you. In the book of the old, in the old Testament, 
when Hagar and Ishmael, going back to Abraham and Sarah's story, when they were running in the desert trying to find water, the Lord appeared to Hagar and said, the, tell, and said, the Lord is blessing you today. And God wants you to know that God sees you. That God sees your misery. God sees your trial. God saw Zechariah. God saw his people. 400 years of silence. God had been there the whole time. Correlating with the 450 years of slavery they had had in Egypt. And the whole time God told Moses, I have heard the cries of my people. I have seen their slavery. I've seen their misery. I have never left them. I have never forgotten them. And somebody this morning, I want you to hear that. You may be going through a season. Maybe this past week was not a very thankful time for you. But the Lord wants you to hear this morning. He still sees you. One of my favorite worship songs in the world by Thomas Walker is the, is the is a song that says, He knows my name. He sees every tear that falls. And he hears me every time I call. He knows my name. He's not forgotten me. He's not turned his eyes toward, away from me. You are the apple of his eye. You are his precious creation. You are his son. You are his daughter. No matter where you walk in this life, even if you've walked away from him like the prodigal son's father, he's standing on the porch and he sees his son. Let's move on to verse chapter 13. But then the angel said to him, Zechariah, do not be afraid for your prayer has been heard and your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son and you are to give him the name John wait a second your prayer has been heard um, Mr. Angel I haven't even had a chance to you know throw the incense I haven't even had a chance to open my mouth yet what prayer you talk about the prayer of the, them they're praying outside. I don't know what they're praying. I, I've been in here the whole time, you know, with you. Yeah, yeah. I, don't, I don't know if it's your first time in, you know, 400 years. I don't know what kind of a lunch break you've been on, but apparently it's been a really long one. But, you know, I, I, I just know that, you know, whatever you think you heard, uh, that wasn't me praying. Maybe you heard the prayer of, of you know, some of the king or, or somebody from 400 years ago, whatever. And he's like, no, 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 Zechariah, I've heard your prayer. But what prayer? That prayer from years ago. Lord, give us a child. Open up my wife's womb and give us a child. The Lord has heard your prayer. Somebody needs to hear this morning. If you've prayed it, God heard it. If you've prayed it, God heard it. In what manner did you pray it? From what kind of heart did you pray it? From what kind of desperation did you pray it? But if your heart was right before the Lord and your heart was in line with his will and with his word, if you prayed it, God heard it. And he goes on to say in the next scripture, you will have great joy and gladness. Many will rejoice at his birth. For he will be great before the Lord and he must not drink any wine or strong drink and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit even from his mother's womb. Now let me just, fill, let me give you a little bit of a doctrine here for just a second. There's two ways the Holy Spirit fills our lives. The first is when we come to know Christ. But the first time you come to know Christ and you give your heart to the Lord like a couple of you probably did today as some of you watching online may have done. The first time you come to know Christ, there's something called the infilling. 
And that's where the Holy Spirit comes and takes residence in our lives and fills us with his spirit. And we become a new creation. And the Bible says we become the temple. We become the tabernacle for the presence of God in our lives. Are you tracking with me so far? That's the first work. That's the first filling. The second work is what happened on the day of Pentecost. Where if you took a cup that's filled with water, if I took this bottle filled with water, and I go back to this baptism, and all of a sudden I dip it in the baptistry, and I pull it back out, now it's not only filled inside, it's filled outside. The second filling is the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And that's what happened on the day of Pentecost, with the first initial evidence being the speaking of an unknown tongue that I did not learn. And the gifts that follow with that. But regardless of it, the Bible says here that John the Baptist, when he's born, when he is in your mother's womb and he is conceived in his mother's womb, your wife's uh, Elizabeth, when he is in her womb, in that moment even, he will be filled with the Holy Spirit. This is a supernatural birth inside of her. You two will come together and create the seed. But I'm going to put an anointing and a filling of my Holy Spirit on his life, even at the moment of conception. Are you with me? So this living, breathing baby that's growing inside of her, before he has the chance to say, Jesus, be my Savior, before he has the chance to even know who Jesus is, before Jesus is even born, before he's even born, I'm going to fill him with the Holy Spirit. Now that blows theology out the the window. That tells me, guess what? God can do whatever God wants to do. That God is not bound by my doctrine. God is not bound by my A, then B, then C, then D. God can come right in and go, if I want to fill you with the Holy Spirit in the middle of your mother's womb, I can do it. And John John the Baptist needed this because he carried a special Elijah forerunner anointing to prepare the way for the Messiah. He will turn many of the children of Israel To the Lord their God. Translation, John the Baptist will bring revival. John the Baptist will proclaim the truth. He'll proclaim the deer of the Lord's favor. He'll say, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And many will turn their hearts back to God and turn their lives back to God in preparation for something great that's coming. He'll bring revival. He will go before him in the spirit and in the power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just to make ready for the Lord a people prepared. In other words, he's going to go, he's going to go and fulfill what Malachi the prophet said. The hearts of the fathers turn towards the sons. The hearts of the sons turn towards the fathers. And he will go through and make the things that are crooked straight. He'll bring those mountains that people have been intimidated by. He'll bring them down low. He'll bring the, the holes that people are being tripped up by. He'll bring them up. He'll make a level playing field that anyone can come to God. Anyone can find repentance. Anyone can have their heart turned. Anyone can be saved if you repent and, t- and turn your life to God for the kingdom of heaven is near that would be his message well pastor David what mountains will he bring down here's a big mountain all these rules and laws the Pharisees had to tell everybody to keep they're insurmountable I can't keep them all I can't live a holy life based on their laws so John the Baptist comes in and says hey that big mountain you're intimidated by let me bring it down repent love God love people you're good If you love God and love people, you'll keep the commandments. Are you with me this morning? 
And then he said, I'm going to raise up those things that will trip you up and, those, and fill in those gaps that are potholes. Pastor David, what are some potholes he filled in? Here's one. How about the wickedness of their king? How about the, how about the troubling nature of the Roman Empire that held them captive? These things that would cause them to stumble or cause them to trip. These foreign cultures, these foreign gods that Rome worshipped. The, 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 the impurity and the unrighteousness of their king who was supposed to be living for God. All these things that would cause them to stumble. John the Baptist said, I'm going to raise those things up. Now there's a walkable playing field. And he said, here's why. Because there's one coming who's greater than I. I'm not even worthy to untie his sandals. I baptize you with water like we're about to see this morning. But he will come and baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. So don't worry about Rome. And don't worry about King Herod. And don't worry about anything else in this wilderness. And don't even worry about me. Because I'm preparing the way for someone coming after me who's so much greater than all of them. Are you hearing me this morning? So the Lord said to them, this is what your son's going to be. You know what that tells me? God does above and beyond what we can even think or imagine. They just wanted a child. They didn't know they were getting a history maker. They didn't know they were getting one of the greatest men of God to ever walk this planet. They didn't know they were going to get a baby who was going to get filled with the Spirit inside of his own mother's womb. They didn't know they were going to get the forerunner of the kingdom of God, the forerunner of the Messiah, the one who comes before to prepare the way for the promise to come. They didn't know they were getting that. But that just tells you, God doesn't just see you. God hears you. I've heard your prayer. I've seen your misery. Tell Elizabeth, I've seen the reproach she's been in. Zechariah, I've seen the shame you felt, the desperation you felt, and I've heard you, and I've heard your prayers, and now I've heard your prayers. Here's what I'm giving. Here's the answer I'm giving. God hears you. God has heard every prayer. And God wants to do above and beyond what you can think. And what you've imagined. The Lord wanted me to write this down and tell somebody this this morning. You may have even forgotten or given up on your prayers. But God has not. God has not. You may have even forgotten you ever prayed that. You may have even forgotten you even asked for that. You've just gone on with routine life. And that prayer, in a moment of desperation, God may not have answered it immediately. Because I want to tell you this morning, those of you watching online too... Sometimes God says yes. Sometimes God says no. Sometimes God says wait. I hate waiting. I'm so impatient. The moment I put a can of ravioli in a microwave, I want it to be done immediately. I hate three minutes of waiting time. Every time we get in the car and want to come home, we just came home yesterday from Thanksgiving, four and a half hour drive. The moment I shut my driver's side door, I wanted to be home. I hate waiting. But sometimes the journey is part of the process. Sometimes the waiting creates the atmosphere for the wonder when God finally says the answer to that prayer. Are you hearing me? God wants you to know that God has heard you and God has never forgotten your prayers. All the tears you've cried, the Bible says he bottles them. He treasures them. Because those tears mean that's an act of vulnerability and God cares for his children. The Bible says in the book of Peter, cast all your cares on him because he cares for you. Let's move on. How does Zechariah respond to this? He said, he, Zechariah said to the angel, verse 18, how shall I know this? I'm an old man and my wife is advanced in years. 
Some theologians say that he may have even said this sarcastically. Okay, you're going to give me a baby. You're going to give my wife a baby. I, have you not noticed? Um, I got wrinkles hanging down here. I'm sagging in my old age. My wife's not, my wife's not the woman she was when she was 21 either. How, are the, how is this going to happen? How is this possible? And I want so bad when I read this to yell at him, have you forgotten Abraham and Sarah? Have you forgotten what God has done over and over and over? Have you forgotten? You're a priest, Zechariah. Have you forgotten Eli and Hannah and how God supernaturally gave Hannah Samuel? Have you forgotten your own history? Have you forgotten your own scripture? Have you forgotten the, your, the very legacy you come from? Have you forgotten who you are? But sarcastically, no. How's this going to happen? How's God going to do this? I'm an old man, and my wife is advanced in years too. And the angel said to him, I am Gabriel. Okay. Gabriel, as we, as we know in Scripture, is one of the highest ranking angels in heaven. So God has dispatched not a third or fourth class angel. God sent a general. And this ain't just a general. In heavenly terms, this is a five-star general. This is one of God's highest angels. And Gabriel stands before him and says, you, you're asking me these questions sarcastically and asking me these questions out of unbelief. I want you to tell you what I'm speaking to you is so important to God that God didn't just send any angel. God sent me. Have you ever thought about that? This is, God's, this is, this is Gabriel saying, God wants you to know this so importantly that, he, that I want you to know even my name. My name doesn't matter compared to Almighty God. But Zechariah, I need you to hear my name because once you hear my name, you're going to understand how serious this is. Are you hearing me so far? This is one of the first times in Scripture we see that an angel has, has told their name. And the reason is because God wanted Zechariah to hear, this is so important. What I'm telling you, Zechariah, should take every ounce of your faith and every ounce of your trust. This is so important. I have not sent you just any angel. I've sent you one of the inner circle. Someone who is with me day and night at the throne. Are you hearing me this morning? So your sarcasm, Zechariah, we got no time for that. Your unbelief and faith, we got no time for that. And so he says, I want you to know I'm Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God. And I was sent to speak to you and bring you this good news. God chose me. He could have sent Mr. No Name down the ranks. No, but God sent me. Because God wanted you to know who, how important this is. And then he said, and behold, you will be silent and unable to speak until the day that these things take place. Because you did not believe my words which will be fulfilled in their time. What is, why, why did God do that? Why did God take Zechariah's voice away? Why did God shut his mouth and not let him talk? Why is that? Here's why. Because there is no room for doubt or unbelief with something this important. I don't want you leaving this room full of fear, full of doubt, and full of unbelief and spewing that on other people. So guess what? To prevent any of that from happening, you're going to be shut up until that baby's born. Because this baby is so important 
And this messenger is so important. And this word and this miracle is so important. There's no room for error. There's no room for question. There's no room for doubt. There's no room for you to come out and go, yeah, that's something happened in there, but I don't think it's real. I think I, I think I got too close to the incense, you know. That, you know, I, I think there I think there may have been, you know, a little I think there we might maybe something I ate or whatever. Some 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 weird, you know, fantasy thing in there said this. No room for that. When you leave, you won't be able to speak. Which is going to tell everybody else two things. Number one, something dramatic happened in there. And number two, it was so powerful, you can't even talk about it. Have you ever thought about it that way before? For the longest time, I'm like, why would God silence his voice? And it occurred to me, if I I don't believe and I don't have faith, I don't think God wants me talking either. Now, here's the application for all of us in here today. How many times have we spewed unbelief? How many times have we said we don't trust? How many times has somebody said God wants to do this and the first words out of our mouth are, I hope that'll never happen. You know what God wants you to do? Same thing God did to Zechariah. Close it. Let faith arise. Let God arise. Let his enemies be scattered. There's no room for doubt or unbelief in the house of God. If God speaks a word, we should be fully bought in. This is the Lord speaking. And I want to tell you this morning, if God has spoken a word to your life and spoken a word over your life, the enemy wants to immediately come in and start talking. And your job is to do the same thing that angel did to Zechariah. You point your finger at the enemy and say, you are not allowed to speak. In the authority in the name of Jesus, enemy, shut your mouth. For you are not the authority in my life. I don't belong to you anymore. I belong to my king. And in the name of my king, shut your mouth. Are you hearing me this morning? You have that authority. The only weapon the enemy has in your life is he never shuts up. That's the only enemy he has. That's the only weapon he has. Any other weapons he had, he stole from you. So come into his camp and take back what he stole from you this morning. Amen. In Luke 1, chapter 20, verse 22, the people were waiting for Zechariah and they're wondering at his delay in the temple. Why is he? He's been in there a long time. He's been in there a long time. What's going on? Why has Zechariah been in there way longer than he should have been? And so they're like, oh, something must have happened. And the, Lord, the third thing the Lord wants me to tell you go tell them that God gives his word. Some of you this morning may be wondering, does God really care? Does God really believe? Does God really want to do something in my life? And God wants me to tell you this morning, go tell them and go tell yourself and go tell others that God does still give his word. That his word still saves. That his word is still sharper than a two-edged sword. That his word still heals. That his word still delivers. That his word still brings peace. That his word still brings comfort. That the word of God is still the true word of God today as it's always been. And you can take God at his word. Verse 24. Let me just read, let me reread 22, 23 real quick. And when, they, when he came out, Zechariah came out, he was unable to speak to them. And they realized he'd seen a vision in the temple. Okay, so right there, this isn't normal. He can't even talk. Something happened in there. If he had come out with his voice and spewed unbelief or spewed you know, sarcasm like he just did, then they, would have, they wouldn't have known anything happened. But he comes out and he can't talk. 
And he's trying to write down what he saw. And there, there is, it's completely apparent he can't speak. There's something happened in there. So right there, faith begins to rise in the people. That we've been out here praying. And Zechariah saw something. And what he saw was so powerful, it literally took his voice away. It was so powerful. We've been praying for this. 400 years, we've been waiting for this. And now something finally happens. Are you with me? And if he had come out with his attitude and, vo- and his voice and disapproval and fear, it would have all been lost. And he kept making signs to them, but he remained mute. And when his time of service had ended, he went home, back to routine, back to life. Verse 24, after these things, after these days, Elizabeth conceived. And for five months, she kept herself hidden saying, thus the Lord has done for me in the days when he looked on me to take away my reproach among people. Now skip all the way down to verse 39. In between this, Gabriel appears to Mary. Gabriel's got a big assignment here. Gabriel appears to Mary, and we'll talk about this story later. But Mary gets a similar message, that she's going to become the mother of of the Savior. And she says, do unto me as you will. And Gabriel speaks to her and says, your, your cousin Elizabeth is in her sixth month of pregnancy. And you know she's not, she's not supposed to be able to give birth to children, but she is. She's pregnant. Nothing's too hard for God. And at that moment, Mary says, I need to go see her. I got to go see Elizabeth. And so Mary make, arose and went to haste to the hill country, to the town in, Ju- in Judah. And she entered the house of Zechariah and greeted Elizabeth. And when Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary, the baby leaped within her womb and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. So that baby that's filled with the Holy Spirit, all of a sudden, Mary comes, Mary gives her a greeting. Hey, Elizabeth, where are you? Your your cousin's here. I want to talk to you for a minute. So she hears Mary's voice and John the Baptist said, I sense him because she's pregnant. The angel had appeared, and right then, she conceived the Messiah in her womb. And so, he's only, what, a week old in her womb? Maybe two weeks, however long the journey was. But that baby John, six months growing inside of Elizabeth, I sense my Savior. I sense my Messiah. I sense the one that when I'm born, I'm going to prepare the way. I sense, and the Bible says the baby jumped up and down in her womb, and he's filled with the Spirit. And when he jumped up and down in her womb, she got filled with the Spirit. Wow. And the Bible says that Elizabeth ran to Mary and exclaimed with a loud cry, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. Mary didn't say a word. How does she know she's pregnant? How does she know that she's got a baby inside of her? How did you know? Because the baby within me jumped up and filled me with the Spirit. And that baby's here for one purpose, to get ready for your baby. So if this baby acts that way, that means, Mary, you're the one. You're the one. Wow. I love God so much. And why is is this granted to me that the mother of my Lord... She come to me, Aubrey, would you come? For behold, when the sound of your greeting came to my ears, the baby in my womb leaped for joy and blessed is she, talking to Mary, who believed that there would be fulfillment of what was spoken to her from the Lord. Now she is talking to Mary, 
But check this out. Read this again. Behold, when the sound of your greeting came to my ears, the baby in my womb leaped for joy. Blessed is she who believed there would be a fulfillment of what was spoken to her from the Lord. So Mary, that word is for you, but that word's also mine. For God spoke to Zechariah and spoke to me about my baby. Blessed are you, blessed am I, that God is fulfilling his word in your life and fulfilling his word in my life. And that's the last blank for you today. God keeps his word. God gives his word, and then God keeps his word. God keeps his word. Some of you this morning may be waiting on the answer, but I promise you, just hold on and believe God is going to fulfill his promise. God is going to make the ends meet. God is going to show that in the whole time, you may have wondered, what are you doing, God? Where are you at, God? I've been here the whole time working it all out for your good. I've been here the whole time trying to make this thing happen, trying to make this thing fulfilled, trying to bring you to a place where you can receive the blessing and receive the promise. You weren't ready when I gave it to you, but through the trials and through the tribulation and through the time of waiting and the character development and the tools being sharpened and the, and the, and the iron being sharpened, now you're ready. Here's the blessing. Now you're ready. Here's the deliverance. Now you're ready. Here's the healing. And God wants you to know this morning, and those of you watching online, God will keep His word. Mary stayed with Elizabeth for three months, and then she went back home to Nazareth. John the Baptist was born. On the eighth day, they circumcised him. And everybody said, what are you going to name the baby? Surely the name will be Zechariah Jr., that's what's custom in our history, in our culture, that the firstborn takes on the, the name or the surname of the father. And, and Elizabeth said, no. The Lord spoke to us and said, his name is John. And everybody said, nobody in your family carries the name John. Why would you name a baby a foreign name? Your name, the name should be of your family. And at that moment, they turned to Zechariah and said, well, you're the daddy. What's his name? And the Bible says, all of a sudden, his voice woke up. And, it, and as if he'd never been hoarse and never lost his voice at all, the first words out of, John, out of Zechariah's mouth are, my son's name is John. Not, I still can't believe this happened. Not, no one saw this coming. Not, can you guys believe this? No, the first words out of his mouth are, God did what he said. His name is John. He wasn't ready for that day one. Nine months later, his faith was ready. Would you bow your heads with me this morning? The altar call this morning is very simple. I'm not even going to ask you to stand because in a minute I've got to go change. But I want you to search your heart right now and I want you to ask God, Lord, reveal to me times I've been in prayer things I may have said, moments that may have passed my mind that you've spoken to me. Some of you this morning, you know the words God has spoken over you. You know the promises God has made to you. And maybe some of them you've seen come to pass and some of them you're still waiting for. Regardless of what those things may be, God's going to keep his word. Some of you this morning need a word from God. Some of you need God to give you his word. 
And I pray this morning that right now God will speak to your heart even now and remind you and show you of what you need from him. And then put your faith and trust in him knowing he's going to keep his word. Some of you this morning can't even get to that point yet. You're not even ready to get a word yet. Some of you this morning may be like, I just need God to see me. I, I just need to know God sees me. I just need to know God even hears me. Well, this morning, you're no different than Zechariah and you're no different than Elizabeth. Whatever your situation you're in, whatever anybody else has ever said to you, God does see you and God does hear you.